It's an all too familiar sight for many American Catholics. Parishes with empty pews, mass goers leaving early, church buildings that may serve as gathering places on Sunday mornings, but little else. How can we reverse this trend and revitalize parish life? Today, we'll talk to real-life Catholic founder Chris Stefanik about the important role of the parish in our church and ways the laity can make our parishes more central in our lives. I'm Dr. Bob Rice, professor of catechetics at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Rice, a professor of catechetics here at Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're talking about parish revitalization. I'm joined by our guest panelist, Dr. William Newton, a theology professor here at Franciscan University, and regular panelist, Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Professor of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan. And we're pleased to welcome our special guest, Chris Stefanik a 1998 alumnus of Franciscan University. Chris is a popular Catholic speaker and author who reaches more than 85,000 teens, young adults, and parents each year through live events and engages more than a million on the web, television, and radio. He is also a consultant to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops on Laity, Marriage, Family Life, and Youth, and the host of EWTN's Real Life Catholic. Welcome, Chris. Thanks it for is, having me. It is great to have yeah, you here. Thanks be to God. Yeah, pray. we uh, we had the opportunity to be students together in the mid-90s here at Franciscan University. Not only were we students together, you were like a mentor to me. <laughs> because I remember Barbara Morgan was telling me, you know, if you're going to go into ministry, try ministry. That's yeah. how God's going to lead you. Try things out. See what you're good at. See where your your gifts and the needs of the church intersect. That's your vocation. Yeah. You know, so I volu- I, I thought the last thing I want to do is mess around with the youth ministry, you know. <laughs> I want to be a, a Dr. Scott Hahn, which oh. was not my calling. <laughs> Shooting too low. So, so I, I went and volunteered at the parish that so you were doing youth ministry at. Yep. Fell in love with, with ministry, with parish ministry, with youth ministry. It's like, oh, man, that was... Yeah, just really showed me the basics for how to do parish ministry, parish evangelization, which I'm doing today. So Yeah, and praise th- God. Th- thanks, thanks for that, brother. Glad to have this officially on yes. tape somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, and it's been, it's been exciting to see your own trajectory over the decades, yeah. you know, starting off uh, working in youth ministry, working in the Diocese of Denver, and then really feeling a call to do more than speak. That's actually what I've been impressed about yeah. your, own, uh, your own ministry. Some people are called to a you know, speaking ministry and traveling around and doing different events, but you and your heart felt a call that you wanted to do more than just an event and leave. Yeah. Uh, it was really about parish revitalization. Yeah. Why don't we start talking about maybe just that idea, even before revitalization, what do we mean when we say parish? I think sometimes that's a word we throw around, but we might not get the deep significance mm-hmm. of what the church means when it talks about parish. Yeah, the parish is, isn't just the people going to mass and in that place. It's, it's everybody who lives within those parish boundaries. When you think about the parish's mission, it's not just to feed the faithful who are there. It's to get every single soul that you can reach yeah. to, to come into the doors of that church. And when parishes stop thinking in those terms, they start dying. When they stop thinking about how do we grow, how do we create parking problems every Sunday, how do we double RCA in size? And there's some really thriving parishes 
that maybe because of their population or have a lot of people in RCAA uh, uh, coming to the church, the Rudd of Christian Initiation for Adults, and they could pat themselves in the back and say, we're doing great, you know? When you sit down, when you rest on your laurels, that, that's, that's the end. I mean, not only with a parish, with, with, with married life, with every area of our lives, you know? So um, the, the, the parish is everybody who lives in those boundaries who, who God's calling you to bring the gospel to. And that's what parishes exist for. And that's what our, our mission's about, is, is, uh, is helping people engage that. So, so we know that there are some thriving parishes, but we also know there's a kind of problem that there's a lot of non-thriving parishes. I mean, I was looking at some data just this week. Uh, seems extraordinary, but it's saying that um, four times as many adults leave the church in recent years as they come in to the church. And when we look at that situation, the other thing that struck me was this, that because we know some people, they maybe didn't ever have thriving faith or they lose their faith and then they move out. But it seems the other section which are moving out are those who actually find faith. Mm. And then the par- some of the parishes that we have aren't able to actually contain the explosion of faith which happens in people. So we have a strange situation of some people just kind of drifting out and others coming to some really lively faith in Jesus and somehow they want to go some, somewhere else. You know? mm. I mean, it's, that seems uh, yeah. not a good situation all around. Yeah, a lot of parishes seem to walk an odd line where they're not spiritually strong enough for those who are excited about their faith and yet they are too strong for those that might not be into it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in some ways it's the question of um, are we being reactive as a parish or being proactive Mm. as a parish? Do we have a vision that, you know, this is, this is our land, like this is our area. Everybody in this area um, is our responsibility, not just to Catholics, mm-hmm. um, but like this is, the, this is the place that God has established this parish is going to serve. And I think sometimes we fail to have that kind of vision. Yeah, it's a radical idea. I mean, when you go down to Louisiana, you discover that instead of towns, villages, and counties, it's divided up into parishes, yeah. you know. That's the French Catholic tradition oh, yeah. leading over. And so it helps us to understand something that is almost the opposite of the way we think. That is, the parish is just sort of like our church, mm-hmm. not this territory. And so there's a real wall between my parish and your parish and the whole town. That's our mission field, and yet you don't think of that in terms of being my parish, you know. I thought of another thing, too, though, and that is, what do you do if you're in a parish that, you know, the demographic is older, mm-hmm. uh, the pastoral staff is older, and, you know, you have this thing called church shopping, where parishioners here in your parish are now going to another parish, which is a good thing because they're not going down the street to the local non-denominational yeah. independent yeah. fellowship, you yeah. know. But, you know, it, it, you have to also cultivate a certain degree of contentment without giving into inertia, you know, or making excuses for yourself. Yeah. because. A parish is like an extended family, and it's best to see a family growing and flourishing. Mm-hmm. But if a family is surviving and staying intact, <laughs> it's not an altogether bad thing these yeah. days. You know? <laughs> That's truth. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to throw that on behalf of like 99% of all yeah. the parishes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a question, Jesus asked the question in the Gospels, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And that just cuts me to the heart. When I think of, yeah. of people just leaving the church in droves, because um, he might come again and find, oh, that, that thing that we started, <laughs> is, is that, does anyone have faith? And, and the answer to the question is up to us. You know, especially now at this time in church's history, it's, it's becoming so clear uh, that this is not the era. The era is gone. When, we, when all of us sat down and waited for the ordained few to do everything for us, you know, if your parish is, feels lifeless, 
jump in and do something about it. That's the key. You know? Yeah, exactly. Our, our, our priests aren't clericalists. We're the clericalists. You know, whenever right. I say something at a, at a live talk, like, hey, you, we all have to own this mission, the priest is the first one to say, amen. <laughs> I mean, most, most parishioners are sitting there thinking, oh, that, that plant's dying. Father should water it. I mean, <laughs> cut them some slack. Water the plant. I mean, <laughs> get up, do something. This is your home. Yeah. This is our collective mission. You know, so uh, the, the, the renewal events that we're doing at parishes, um, you know, I used to just respond to requests to go out and give talks, which was, which was a wonderful thing. Uh, but we've, we've now leveraged uh, my ability to evangelize uh, to help parishes own the mission. So we work with parishes for about six months before I get there uh, with parish outreach teams uh, to help them be intentional about inviting their entire parish boundaries, their entire, uh, their families, their friends, everybody back to this, this renewal event. And, uh, and that gives them like a, a, a hunger. It gives them the joy of evangelizing, right. of just inviting. But it, it all comes that, back to getting back to those basics. You know, by invite, I, I literally just mean invite. I mean, I, I'm striving to be the least innovative ministry in the Catholic Church, you know. <laughs> when, when parishes get really creative with the outreach plan, when they, uh, you know, social media is good, radio marketing is good, but when they get too far down that road, I, I know I'm gonna show up and there's gonna be half the crowd that there could otherwise be. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like, it reminds me of, you know, I think of the analogy with dieting. You know, when you, when you know you should lose some weight and you really don't feel like it, what you do is you study about all these different diets. Then you feel kind of like you're doing it. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, you've got to consume less calories and work out more. And if you don't feel like doing that, you're going to learn everything about all these different types of diets. Right? I, I think sometimes the church thinks about all these different methods of evangelization or different ways of marketing because it's really hard work to get back to the basics. Hmm. It's not easy to go up to someone who doesn't usually go to church, have a conversation, and convince them to come to an evangelistic event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what so renewal th- comes back to the basics. What do you think of this idea of intentional parishes? So, I mean, meaning people make a choice for a particular type of parish because it has a particular spirituality. Uh, in the past, we had ethnic parishes, in the States at least particularly, maybe not in, in other countries. And uh, the issue, of course, perhaps was that people chose them because of their ethnic background, the Irish or the Polish, and they could become simply social clubs. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me it's a little bit different thing going on now when we say, okay, there's three or four parishes somebody could be a member of in their driving range, yeah. and they pick a particular one. Uh, the canon law even seems to allow us to have so-called personal parishes, parishes which are, for example, of you know, the, the Anglicans who are coming over. There would be a parish who have the particular liturgy which has been agreed for them. Do you, do, you, do you think that is da- there's a danger in that, or do you think, as you were kind of intimating, at least it's a choice for the faith? Yeah. That's what's behind the decision. I'm, I'm happy as long as people are going to church. But I, I think those days, we're, we're in the midst of a transition right now. A lot of dioceses have parishes that are closing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of pain for people, because, you know, my, my great-grandpa literally put those bricks in place. Uh, so that, that's painful. But, you know, it's the shifting world. Uh, I mean, it really makes no sense for some diocese to have what used to be the Irish church there and across the street, the Italian church. Mm-hmm. And that made a lot of sense 75, 100 years ago. Uh, but those, those days are gone. But and th- that's painful, but there's a, a blessing within that. Just like there's a blessing within, you know, society's <laughs> the collapse of Western civilization. Right? It's like this is forcing us to get back to the heart of everything. What, what do parishes exist for at the end of the day? What, what makes life meaningful at the end of the day? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I think of when you, if you're in a fight, your skin gets kind of cold. 
You know, or if, or if you're amped up for a fight, you get cut off on the freeway and you think you're about, you're about to get hurt, your skin gets cold because your blood is, is, is rushing to the muscle. It's rushing to the, to the core. It's rushing to those things that you need for fight or flight, for survival. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a time in the church's history where uh, all the non-essentials are getting stripped from us. And I think we're being called back to our core, called back to, to the things that we need to focus on to stay alive, to the basics, to the basic stuff we... Uh, that I learned from Bob Rice <laughs> while working in a parish of Stephenville. <laughs> Let me chime in. I think I can discern three models, though, because on the one hand, you want to say that the parish is a mission field, a jurisdiction, yeah. as it were. <laughs> so even people who aren't Catholic are part of the parish. And so you want to reach out to them and see that as your mission field. On the other hand, you're dealing with a lot of non-intentional parishes that are just simply surviving. In that case, I think another model emerges where your own parish becomes a mission, Mm. where instead of leaving, you make an intentional commitment to stay and do whatever you can. It might mean working with the pastoral staff very closely, or it might mean detaching yourself from the pastoral staff because they might have, you know, the priest might want to make sure that they have, you know, watering the plant on the committee agenda for next week, you know. (laughs) And, And so you have to work with what you've been given. But a third model also emerges something that I'm probably more familiar with because of my own formation in Opus Dei, and that is just lay apostolate. Mm -hmm. That is, it isn't necessarily parish-centered in terms of a thriving parish, a languishing one. You are, you know, because I'm baptized, I'm confirmed, I'm an apostle in the middle of the world. Mm -hmm. And so at the workplace, in the neighborhood, and beyond the boundaries of my own parish jurisdiction, wherever I have friendships and associations, in a certain sense, my world is my parish mm. at that point and my mission field. And I think it's important for us to recognize that we don't need permission from the parish to be lay apostles. We've already been commanded Amen. by the Lord of Lords. Amen. And so to do that in terms of work and friendship and personal influence, I think is another model. And it isn't like, well, choose A, B, or C, because yeah. clearly it's all of the above. But I think just distinguishing in order to not separate, but to unite or coordinate those various approaches is helpful. Amen. Yeah, in the first days of the church, there were no parishes. Yeah. You know, there were, there were people who had a shared sense of mission, who were going off into the world. You know, and that's, that's a key thing to remember, because, uh, you know, a lot of us might think of, of, of mission or involving the laity in the work of the church as, well, let's have everybody be lectors. Let's have everybody be, you know, involved in some liturgical ministry. Let's have us commission everyone in some official ministry within the church. Everyone is commissioned. <laughs> right. Everyone uh, is an inviter to Jesus. Come I, to see. And when you say that, you know, you might see on my face a reaction because a it seems to me to be a subtle form of clericalism. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, to say, okay, lay person, you are now alive in your faith. Well, are you going to be on the parish council? Are yeah. you going to be a Eucharistic minister? Are you going to be a lector? It's like, no, you're going to be an apostle. Yes. Go out into the world and bring people back yeah, to Christ. Yeah, And the, the sad irony is a lot, often when we involve as many lay people as we can in things like liturgical ministry, what you end up is, with is... is uh, Man, I, I, you, we've all suffered through some liturgical music. It's like people who have no business standing in front of a microphone and singing to everyone, but, but you know, you have to involve everyone. Well, what you're doing is turning everyone off so no one's singing because they can't stand the sound. Right. <laughs> it, it involve a few people in order to get everybody activated right where they are in the pew, inspired to sing with you. I mean, it's, it's a whole different mindset. It is. And, uh, and get, get everybody activated right where they are in the mission. Sometimes That's I think it. we get so focused on doing ministry to ministry. the people who should be doing ministry yeah. that uh, we often sacrifice some of the fruits yeah. of that. And that's at the heart of, I think, 
what it means to be part of a parish and live out our baptismal call to be priest, prophet, and king. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk more about that and how we might revitalize parishes when we return. Stay with us. Vatican II defined what a parish is supposed to be as a school of prayer, which to me envelops three things. You need to have provided an environment to encounter Jesus, you need to equip people to live out their faith in their personal prayer lives, and you need to empower them to share their faith and so become a missionary disciple, which is what we're supposed to be. When God created you, He made you like no other person. You are unique, singular, and unrepeatable. So shouldn't your college experience be the same? At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith and reason, wisdom and grace, mercy and truth. You'll study under world-class scholars and seasoned practitioners who are committed to Christ in this church. With over 40 majors and pre-professional programs, you'll find the formation you need to succeed. You'll discover lifelong friends and mentors who will welcome you, challenge you, and encourage you. Because we believe as Catholics, we are not called to hide from culture, but transform it. At Franciscan University, you'll find more than just a college. You'll find yourself and an educational experience as singular as you are. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about parish revitalization with our guest, Chris Stefanik. Chris, you know, we were, the first segment, we're talking a lot about parish and what that means and a lot of different models and understanding for that. Um, I think we can all agree that it needs to be revitalized. Mm -hmm. You know, that generally speaking, the, the faith life of the Catholic Church and the Catholic parish in the United States is really declining. Yeah. As you have an opportunity to go into parishes and give them some suggestions. What are, what's the biggest wow moment for them? Like, what's the thing they didn't think of? I mean, you're just talking about going back to the basics, but for some people, they're probably going, and the basics are... Yeah, they've never, most Catholics have never been challenged in a direct way to invite someone to church <laughs> and to just share Jesus with somebody. So to see that happening, to experience themselves and inviting a friend to church, to see those people's lives change. I mean, the gospel is just as, as potent today as it was 2,000 years ago when we stick to the basics yeah. of inviting and calling people to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. And the, the rest of the faith, all, all the teaching, all, the, all the, the moral teachings, all the things that people associate with, well, that's Christianity, it's, or it's that one issue, that, that's Catholicism. Mm. They, they only make sense within the context of the love story that is the gospel. And so when we focus on that, when they see, when they see me preaching that way, it, just, it starts to click and it, it, it blows me away. I mean, there's so many bad headlines about things happening within the church. Uh, don't Google us, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, really, it's, it's, it's horrible. But I, I feel spoiled every one of these events. There's this explosive energy. I mean, Catholics are waiting for permission to own the mission, they're waiting for permission to be happy about being Catholic again. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's like it's just it's just all smiles. It's like it, you wouldn't think that anything bad has happened within the church in the past 15 years uh, at these events when, when they, they they shift their understanding of what it means to be part of the church. And being invited is such a huge thing. I remember one time when I was a youth minister, I I I said, let's have our teens go door to door 
and mm -hmm. invite our parishioners to come to church. Some people are like, oh, door-to-door -door evangelization, that's really weird. It's like, no, no, I, I'm not going to strangers. Like in every parish, there's a big census, yeah. and maybe a good half of those people aren't coming to church, but at some point they signed up. So you know it's not a complete cold call. Yeah. And we tried to put on a special event for that weekend, and we just had young people saying, hey, you know, we're part of your, sometimes it would be, active parishioners and they were thrilled to see somebody mm -hmm. out and about doing something. Other times it's people, well, you know, I haven't been there in a few years. Well, come back this Sunday. We're doing a really big thing and a great, I mean, that next Sunday, mm -hmm. we saw a 20% increase in attendance. Mm -hmm. in, in the it's not rocket science. And it's not rocket science. And it wasn't even like, oh, are they going to get yelled at? Is someone? No, everybody was friendly. Even the ones that were right. like, mm, not into it. Mm -hmm. But there's so many places we can start, I yeah. think, that, with, that, with that basic idea. And the church are not a company, but we know like, you know, if you move from this internet provider to that internet provider, one month later you'll have a phone call saying, <laughs> you know, did anything go wrong? You know, you know right. we really valued your custom. And now, you know, we had to be careful not to turn it into right. a business like that. But yeah. we could learn something oh, in that yeah. regard. Uh, I saw, again, some statistics that, that indicated some people had left. It was almost like they were waiting for somebody to chase them. Mm. Nobody noticed I'd left, and they were kind of just waiting for somebody to come after them and say, hey, we want you to yeah. come back. But we, we don't really have a, a culture of that or a system for that, both probably. Yeah. Well, I think many times in our parishes, we don't, you know, we, you know, another marketing word is assessment. Like, we don't really think about what is the mission of this uh, particular parish. Each parish has its own charism. Uh, it, it ends up becoming how many people showed up or how many people didn't show up. And we should be thinking more than that, you know, in terms of, you know, if we're going to talk about revitalizing something, we need to know, okay, well, where, where are we right now? And what are the ways we want to grow? What are, what are those demographics, those people that we think we can really immediately, you know, the low-hanging fruit, who are the ones we can reach out to? You know, I was thinking of a parish in Illinois where the Monsignor mobilized the active parishioners to reach out to all of the people on the parish rolls who weren't coming. And so wave one, and it was a great revitalization, wave two was even more. But you began to sense that the people who were involved, who were actually being engaged in door to door, were the ones who were being more profoundly evangelized and converted yes. in the process. But you also had this sense of friendship. You know, so what kind of culture do you need to evangelize? Well, it's a culture of friendship. Mm -hmm. And the, the particular model that we've been discussing is a centralized model where I think, you know, our assumption will be that the parish priest will, as pastor, initiate this, coordinate the leaders. But there's a real sense in which we don't have to wait for that. Because once again, we're not just kind of sitting in our barracks like troops waiting for an order. We're apostles out in the world under orders. And so there's no reason why we couldn't get the parish roles and find out who in my neighborhood is inactive, you know, and reach out to them. I also want to say, though, that when you think of the parish, you, you, you think of a circle, but it's an open circle, it's not a closed circle. In other words, it allows for concentric circles that emanate outward. And I think I, I say that because as a former Protestant, I still have this um, aversion to importing Protestant terminology into Catholic tradition and culture. You know, for Protestants, everything is ministry. Uh -huh. You know, but in the Catholic tradition, ministry is usually something that is united to the sacraments. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those who administer the sacraments, especially our ministry, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we're all recipients of the sacraments, and in marriage I administer that in a way that is ongoing with my wife and so on. But I, I think of apostolate as the classical terminology mm. that fits. And so you find all of these books that were written in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s when the church was thriving. And it's precisely 
apostle that is used to designate the work of the lay people. And I, I say that because, again, there are alternative models that are all like moving parts that are interconnected. The parish is the center, the sacraments, bringing people to the mass, that's the main event, but it's not the only thing. It's not that's the right. only game in town. Friendship, Bible studies, neighborhood prayer groups, yeah. all sorts of things, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think as lay apostles, we're doing things that might be associated with preaching, with ministry, yeah. with parish, and it, that's wonderful. There's no reason to kind of dispel all of that terminological, you know, big ambiguity. But I, I think precising our terms might also create new opportunities mm. and visions. Yeah, we're, we're the, the odd ducks, really, as lay yeah. people who are in uh, what looks like a ministry from to, to the outsider. Uh, it, it, and that everyday apostolate that, that everyone's called to. One, one of my dear friends, I just thought it was you were talking, um, <laughs> he just made friends with everybody in his block. He has chili every week, and he invites his whole block to come over, and they pray a rosary together. Right. And half That's the people it. there aren't Catholic. <laughs> and, they, and they just love to hang out with him, pray the rosary, maybe have like a, they have like a dart tournament they're doing. And this is evangelization. You know, I think sure friendship is. Is, is the ordinary forum for evangelization to happen. <laughs> and that requires an annoying amount of time uh, you know, it requires dealing with people who can be annoying, just like we're all annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the human mind tends to find flaws, you know, in people around you. So you don't want to invest in friendships or, you know, no, no, it takes time to evangelize. It costs. I mean, Jesus shows us on the cross. Souls cost. Yeah, you're, you're, you're pointing to something that reminds me of the last two days. I've just spent the last two days with a good friend of mine, an actor by the name of Kevin James, who was in town yeah. uh, yesterday and the day before. And he was also with Boss Rutten, who was this, you know, mixed martial arts, Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. And wow. we went last night to see Kevin perform a comedy routine in Pittsburgh. And we were discussing this over lunch and then dinner the day before. You know, when does he come out as a Catholic and speak at these events, you know? Is it right now? Is that yeah. what's <laughs> And it's not right now. He just outed him. He just now. Say. Well, he was interviewed by Raymond Arroyo on yeah. EWTN. Oh, well, and he it. wondered out loud, that that's was really one out. of the bigger mistakes that I made because my work as a Catholic is to make people laugh and to have clean humor and to not talk about the doctrines that he loved to study. He was sitting on a graduate course of mine, you know, wanted to take the final exam and all of that. He's on fire. But he has this clear sense of, you know, it, it isn't a walled separation, mm -hmm. but he knows what he is called to do and he wants to do it as well as he can and do it better. And at the same time, he's a daily communicant with him, you know, homeschooling his family and that kind of thing. And I, I, I think it's important to recognize that kind of holy secularity that is out there, yes. that you don't have to speak at a Catholic men's conference if you're sincere about yes. your conversion. Yes. You know? and, and so again, there's just concentric circles that emanate outward, and I think the range of possibilities is rather new. I mean, 50 years ago, the idea that we would be lay people on EWTN would have been unimaginable. Yeah. It would have been radical to the point of a counter, you know, a revolutionary move, yeah. and yet now yeah. it's yeah. becoming a kind of Catholic culture. And I was struck by, Scott, you were saying down in Louisiana, they have the kind of French model, but if you think about France itself, actually the parish system is almost shot. Wow. And what's taken its place are new communities. I mean, there was an article in Le Figaro uh, last week or the week before, which I think it was inspired by, you know, what happened um, Notre Dame, that there was a kind of, on television, a public manifestation, actually, of the strength of the church in France. But people saw young people praying, and they had a sense, or something came through, I think it's the Holy Spirit, that showed yeah. a certain iron to the church, but it's not in the parish system. Right. It's in the new communities, the Emmanuel community. I mean, somebody told me, 
that uh, at least 10 years ago, half of all the seminarians in the uh, French seminary in Rome came from that one community. Wow. Mm. Uh, and wow. I have French relatives and they all are, they in parishes, they do good work, but I think that they are vitalized through the communities. I was listening to um, Cardinal Dolan talking about his experience of parishes uh, earlier in the week and obviously the parish had been absolutely critical for his formation. I have to say that all the key moments in my own faith journey come through new communities, mm. not through the parish. Yeah. So the parish is important, but it's a means to an end. Yes. At the end is what we need to yeah. focus on. And this is, the, this is the quiet fire of renewal that I think God is bringing about right now. Mm-hmm. It's from that grassroots, it's from movements, it's from people saying, I'm gonna rise up and own this. Uh, I, I've been told many times, you know, Chris, I wanna do what you do. And I'm thinking, okay, so do it. <laughs> I mean, we, we let worldly standards uh, influence how we discern things. You know, people might be thinking, I want to do what you do, which means I want to preach from a stage or get invited around to give talks. You know, well, if, no, no, no. If you want to share the gospel, just start doing it. You know, don't, don't attach any, uh, any worldly standards of what's important and what's not important. You know, uh, my, my own life changed. My parents dragged me off to a retreat that I didn't want to go to. So I love coerced religious experiences for teenage kids. <laughs> You're going. And, uh, you know, the people that changed my life weren't the people preaching from the stage. I don't remember anything that they said. It was everybody in the room. The, the, uh, Pope Benedict XVI said the first, the first Christians call themselves the living ones. And I just love that. I saw a life in, in the faces of everyone in the room and instantly realized I was dead. And I was hungry for what they had. And I, re- I remember particular faces, I could see them right now. The, the joy of the Lord just beaming from this person's face who wasn't cool. He was probably in his you know, early 60s. He, he, wasn't, you know, he wasn't like any of the rock stars I looked up to, but there was a joy that every secular idol I had didn't have, and I wanted what that guy had. And, and he would never guess that he's actually why, a big part of why I'm sitting here talking to you right now on Franciscan Presents. You know? it, it's the quote, average, there's no average, we're temple of the Holy Spirit. Catholic just being the presence of God in the world, being who we are, uh, wow, that's, that's got a power yeah, I think that we can't of, I think imagine. of Paul VI, you know, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers, yeah. to teachers only if they are witnesses. And certainly that idea of witnessing the faith is always the first form of evangelization. Mm-hmm. Are we living the faith? You know, if are we a joyful community? Yeah. Um, are we able to really share with each other and pray with each other? And many times that might happen within a larger parish structure of clusters of people, lots of, lots of renewals coming through different small group activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we can't just leave it at that. You know, you'd hate to go with the stereotype of as long as you're just a nice person, uh, the gospel, you know, will share itself. And so yeah. I think as we're going to continue to talk about the subject in the next segment, uh, we're going to look at specific ways in which we can be sharing Jesus in a way that can revitalize our parishes. Stay tuned. So when I was in middle school, we ended up coming back to the church. Um, and it was through a parish that was really vibrant and joyful and bright. And through that joy that um, 
one of the people that worked there, he was a uh, uh, Franciscan grad. He actually brought a lot of joy, and you could see that spirituality of St. Francis kind of working through him to kind of bring that joy to the parish. Um, and seeing the people, like seeing the vibrancy and mass, the active participation of the people during the liturgy, like really kind of brought my family back as well. Uh, and it was really special and humbling to kind of be a part of that and help him or have him help me get my sacraments. And uh, it was really special. You don't have to trade top flight academic programs for a passionately Catholic identity. You can have both. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll not only deepen your faith, you'll be prepared for real world success by dedicated professors for whom excellence isn't just a goal, but the standard. Ready to get started? Check out franciscan.edu. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents and we're coming to you from the Communication Arts Studio here on the campus of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and equipment, and my colleagues, Dr. William Newton and Dr. Scott Hahn, are guiding our discussion on parish revitalization with Chris Stefanik. So the first mode of evangelization is the witness. It's mm -hmm. something as simple as an invitation. Yeah. I think some people are uh, intimidated by, you know, well, what does it mean to share Jesus? What's the gospel message? I don't know if I can do that or not. Of course they can, but yeah. um, how do we then get to move to this next part where the gospel is proclaimed, where mm. they hear about Jesus as a person who loves them and wants a relationship yeah. with them. I mean, this is my, my, my whole life's about that part. Mm. Uh, events like the, one, the ones we provide for parishes make it really easy to have that happen. Yeah. And when I was in parish youth ministry for, I spent five and a half years doing that, Steubenville conferences, th these kinds of big events, not, not, not that that's the only answer, obviously it's not. But when you find events like that, it really, it makes it so much easier yeah. to say, come and see yeah. <laughs> at a thing where, where the, the charismatic message, that, that heart of the gospel is proclaimed. You know, I think of the Big Bang Theory, how all the matter of the universe was, was compacted into a singularity mm. and exploded from that. But it was all there to begin with. All the things that have exploded from, from the, the charisma, from the primary proclamation of the gospel, uh, from the sacramental life of the church to our engagement in the world to the theology, all this beauty, but it was all there at that singularity, at that single point, which is that, that Jesus Christ loves us, died for us, calls us to himself. You know, um, but these events are effective because they focus on that. Mm. But I, I think the average Catholic, and I hate saying the words average, there's no average, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Everybody has to get better at talking about that singularity. Mm. You know, at, at talking about Jesus as if we know him. I think of St. John saying, we proclaim what we've seen with our eyes, what we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You know, th this comes back to, to a, a lived experience of prayer, reading scripture, just getting to know Jesus. And then evangelization isn't something that's forced. Yeah. You know, how do you bring people into a relationship with Jesus? It, it, it should flow naturally from who we are if we're actually living it out. Mm. And there's a the real challenge. Um, I recently come across various books which uh, seem to sort of study this at somewhat academic level. There's a book called Great Catholic Parishes, that's si uh, William Simon. Uh, he looked at 140 what he understood to be thriving parishes in the States and did a very, very detailed survey on them to look at key elements. We've got the Divine Renovation Organization coming out, of, uh, well, the Parish of St. Benedict's in Halifax. Uh, which has, I think it's Father James Mallon, mm -hmm. and Sherry Waddell, the uh, Forming Intentional Disciples. I looked at all three of those, and they actually have more or less the same 
conclusions yeah. at the level of structural changes or rather systemic changes. And they include things like uh, engagement community through small groups, mm, uh, cool. leadership, excellent and shared uh, leadership where you empower people who are not just, as you say, with the singing warm bodies, people who are excellent in the parish, they're, they're gonna be excellent people, put them uh, in places. Uh, Eucharistic adoration, a key one, uh, focusing not only on catechesis, but actually discipleship beyond the catechesis. Mm. They say, we actually, we do quite a good job on catechesis, but do we take it further to discipleship? And the fifth one is evangelical. They're looking to, to convert yeah. people who are, haven't seen the gospel. And it, it just struck me that they, I don't know if there's no sense they have any interaction with each other, these organizations, but they come to similar conclusions. And a lot of those would require a, a great vision from the pastor and parish staff. And sometimes you're in a parish where the pastor is tired, just wants to do the thing, you know, it just mm -hmm. do, do the masses, do this, and get out of there. Yeah. That's just the reality some of us live with. It's not everywhere, but in, in some places. So I, I really am lit on fire when I hear the small group one. Yeah. Because you don't need someone's permission. It doesn't have to be a part of an official mm -hmm. parish ministry. It's ideal if it is, mm -hmm. uh, but you don't, you don't need to make it official to get together with some friends. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many great Catholic resources out there. Mm -hmm. You're producing a lot of amazing Catholic resources. It's, it's, it's not hard to find these things, mm -hmm. to get together, to study them, to pray together, and to, to just form authentic friendship, and then to start inviting people to come with you. I mean, this is, this is that grassroots explosion mm -hmm. that can renew the church. Yeah, the average age, though, interesting, the average age of the priest of these excellent parishes was 62. Hmm. Wasn't the wasn't actually the younger age group that was quite heartening to me. That's good. So that kind of yeah. maturity uh, of priesthood actually led, they said, in the study, opening up to the possibility of some radical mm. shifting culture. Hmm. Thank God. Heartening to me. I'm turning 62 this year. <laughs> you still have one or two big years left. Perhaps so. You know, in addition to the structural and the programmatic, you know, there is also that element that you could. Everybody's coming back to here. And that is the spiritual, the moral, but the personalistic friendship, relationship, you know, because mm -hmm. it isn't just the initial charisma, you know, get them to a retreat, you know, and then they're going to hear it because of witness and friendship. You know, I would say that at every stage of the spiritual life, if somebody's going to join the third order Carmelites to really go deeper into John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, it's usually on account of friendship. Hmm. Somebody mentoring them, showing them that the path is continuing, you know, further up. It's not necessarily getting easier, but it's more exciting. Yeah. And I think that is what Pope Francis nailed in the joy of the gospel, that when people are enjoying the faith, they're contagious whether they intend to be or not. Whether you know? they like it or not. <laughs> and when people aren't enjoying the faith, when they're angry about the unbelief or the defections from the Catholic Church. And I mean, there's a lot to be angry about, a yeah. lot to criticize. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we always have in our family the idea of Philippians 4, verse 8, that if there's anything true, anything good, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Because, you know, if you don't, you shrivel. That's and it. if God didn't, we'd shrivel, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I think finding the positive and turning on more light switches, but always within the context of friendship. Yes. And falling more in love with Christ you know, it's it's a personal relationship, but again, as a former Protestant, I want to say it's a covenant relationship. You know, yeah. I had a personal relationship with Kimberly when we were courting, then we got engaged, but when we got married, you know, we didn't cease to have a personal relationship. It becomes much more intense, intimate, intentional, that sort of thing, or it didn't. 
and that we had to kind of revitalize that. And I think that's the model for Catholic evangelization and re-evangelization. It's about falling back in love mm. as much as it is falling more deeply in love, mm. you know? And that's what I'm finding people doing all the time. And when you leave the country and you talk to Catholics in other parts of the world, especially in Europe where it just seems to be a desert, mm -hmm. you know, they recognize something that we don't often perceive and that is there's something going on in the U.S. I mean, besides the pornography yeah. and the decadence, there's something really vital happening. And how do we get in on that? Yes. You know? Back to Philippians 4. Right. I mean, he's, he's writing this from, from jail. Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Nine Rejoice. times in that book, yes. Yeah, and th and this, is, this isn't a suggestion or be happy when your circumstances make you happy. This is a command to rejoice. I mean, this is at the end of the day what makes us effective. And, and I think it's the, the heart of evangelization. It, it's to come back to the fact that we have the best news ever. Mm -hmm. There is nothing remotely that compares to the gospel. When Catholics become confident of that again, we'll stop being in an apologetic, I mean, apologizing incessantly uh, uh, posture or playing the defense all the time and right. constantly feeling the need to respond to every attack from the world because there's so many, it's overwhelming. We just need to get bold again and say, yeah, there, there's all this other stuff going on, but we still have the best news ever. <laughs> but, but what, so I, I was fortunate to see you actually at World Youth Day. Uh, I don't know if you saw me, I was right up in the oh, top. Oh, I did, I remember you. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy with the, the, white, man with the British accent. The only yeah. guy with the white hair. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. And uh, it touch, certainly touched, the whole event it touched the hearts of my daughter and, and other, the other girls that we were with. But then the question is, now what? Because if the parish where you live is not vibrant, and we've said, I mean, friendship, it's really community it is. that keeps people in, that That's keeps right. people engaged. And though there isn't that, then you have to make some decision for yeah. your kids or for yourself to find it. Yeah. For me, that was when the Lord touched me in my early adulthood, the parish, it just wasn't an option. But thanks be to God, uh, I met someone in the parish who said, hey, look, come along to this community. And that then for 10 years was the lifeblood. I, I don't think I would have survived without yeah. that. So, I mean, but, so what do we do? I mean, you, you, you presume you go around, you, you revitalize individuals with the kerygma, but then what, what next? It, it's simple. It, it, people confuse simple with simplistic. Simple mm -hmm. is powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, simple is, 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 uh, is world changing. I, mean, I think complexity is the enemy of execution, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and the now what really is as simple as staying deeply rooted in prayer, Mm -hmm. Staying in touch with Jesus to where you share him from who you are mm -hmm. and then gathering in, in small groups in, mm -hmm. in community and in, in friendships where you're being intentional Just like within marriage. Mm -hmm. It's these simple things that if you're not intentional about them over time your relationship suffers mm -hmm. It's really hard to be intentional about those simple things though because life is extremely busy It's really hard to, to have intentional friendships mm -hmm. where you're getting together and growing in your faith It's really hard to do those basic things where, where you say, you know I'm gonna commit to some sort of missionary outreach and, and or something to the poor or something you know once a month I, I, I have these commitments for myself. I get together with a couple guys in my own little small group just once a month mm -hmm. uh, I, I, You know once a month. I want to do something to serve the poor it's these, it's these little things that you have to translate to your calendar, you know mm -hmm. To say that, what, is, what does it look like to be a Catholic? What's it look like to live the gospel of Jesus Christ? It has to translate to tangible action if you're going to be a witness and if you're going to have living communities. Mm -hmm. You have to be acting together in those simple ways. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then the gospel keeps spreading. Mm -hmm. And without that, we're done. Um, I, it's, I just had this encounter recently. I was just coming to mind I, I, at a reboot event. Um, this woman came up to me with a, with a, with a baby. And she, she said, um, this baby's because of your event here last year. Mm 
said I'd had an abortion when I was in high school and I felt damned. And then people invited me to this event. I heard the gospel mm. and then I felt like I was redeemed and like I felt like God could love me again. And, and, and then we decided to have a child. You know, all this because living communities were making the faith attractive. It's not because I show up and give a talk. Who the heck am I? I mean, especially with someone who really needs evangelization. They have no idea who I am. They, they never watch the show. They, you know what I mean? Uh, it's because a friend was living the faith in an attractive way, invites this person. They hear the core gospel message. And literally every problem in the human heart, every, every fundamental question about, about why we exist, it all starts to fall into place under the lordship of Jesus, under the lordship of his, his, his saving love. Um, it, it's, it's, but it's being intentional about these simple things mm -hmm. that, that changes the world today, like it did 2,000 years ago. And as St. Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who mm. believes. And I know when I have opportunities to share the gospel, I always call that to mind because it takes the pressure off me. I'm not trying to convince anybody of the gospel. Yes. You know, I'm not trying to convince anybody. You know, I could never, if I knew that person was sitting in the audience, I wouldn't think, now what can I say to convince this person? Yeah. It is the power of the good news. There's grace that is endowed with that message. And I think sometimes uh, those that are afraid to share the faith don't realize like the, the power is there. Mm. You know, the, the power of the message, it's the best news ever. You're not yeah. gonna hear anything more true, anything more beautiful, anything, anything more life-changing. Mm. And I think something you said earlier, Chris, which I, is an essential point I don't wanna miss, is that there are many Catholics sitting in the pew that are just waiting for a, a little bit of an invitation and a little bit of instruction. A little permission. Uh, just a little bit of permission. Like, uh, they'd love to do that. You know, they might yeah. even be watching the show saying like, gosh, I'd love to share yeah. Jesus. Um, so think of that person watching the show right now. Yeah. I'd love to share Jesus. How do I do that? You know, I mean, you said yeah. it's simple. Simple isn't easy. You know, no. okay, I can make friends, I can build community. Yeah. Uh, how do I? How do I bring it up? Simple, it requires, uh, to do that simple thing requires some awkwardness. You know, there's a... Uh, and you've I, always been great at that. I, I'm <laughs> awesome at it. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell millennials, I'm sorry guys, there's no safe space in Christianity. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know, we have a God who, who told people he's comfortably sitting in a boat to, to come out, come yeah. out, stand on the water. Right. I, I mean, you have to be willing to get punched in the face for it <laughs> in order to share it. Uh, it. It is those simple ways every day. It's the... It's the uh, telling someone you're praying for them, inviting yep. someone to church. I mean, for me, this started as a high school kid after my heart was lit on fire in that retreat. And I, and I realized I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, this is the best news ever. Mm -hmm. How could I not share this with people? Yeah. I would pray every day, Lord, show me one person to share you with, even in the smallest way. I want to open my mouth and talk about something from you, from scripture, from, from a saint life that inspired me, just for a couple minutes, even if it's kind of awkward. Yeah. Uh, just once a day. And, um, I and mean, this, this is a low bar here. And, and he always presented those opportunities. When you ask that kind of thing, he's gonna show you what to do. But you gotta have the willingness and the courage to walk through that door that he opens before you and to have that awkward conversation. And then if you get rejected, if you get pushed back, you know, you, you don't have to stay in that, in that fight zone. Yeah. You can back up and then just keep loving that person, keep smiling, and they'll, they'll know why you love them and why you're smiling, and it'll bug them <laughs> until they become like you. <laughs> so this is, this is how the gospel spreads. I wanna just kind of expand this again, not instead of, but in addition to yeah. uh, the parish, the, 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 the fellow down the pew, you know. Um, 
but also your colleague in the IT department or in human resources or somebody you meet up in the faculty lounge, you know, uh, who doesn't necessarily live close to you, but is still part of your extended parish, as it were. You know, asking them out to lunch, they probably know by now that you're different than a lot of the other coworkers. And yeah. so if you are intentional about friendship with a colleague, and not just simply for the purpose of, you know, a one night, you know, you hit them and you yeah. if you don't, didn't convert, I'm gonna ask somebody out Right. Else out the yeah. lunch, you know. <laughs> but I mean, building a whole network of friendship, mm. and uh, I, I think that is also a very important way of doing apostolate because that's where you are, like from nine to five. The better part of the day is spent with all of these people who will probably never darken the doorways of your parish, yeah. you know. But they will go out to lunch with you and uh, grab a coffee or whatever. Mm. Absolutely. That's great. And we'll have some more thoughts on some specific ways how we can revitalize a parish when we come back with our final segment of the show. Stay with us. When I was in high school, my parish um, invited me on this mission trip, and it was this opportunity for me to work with others my age and with our parish priest. And they were really able to call me on and um, it was an experience similar to how I felt like I could be like Jesus and really just serve those around me who were at a different stage in their life. It was an eye-opening experience and it really um, helped cultivate that desire to serve. And it's really because of my parish I was able to enter into that. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. William, would you start us off with your thoughts on our topic today? Yeah, so we're talking about parish revitalization. I mean, I think we've seen partially at the core is this idea of rebooting, individual reboot mm -hmm. of the person down to the basics, getting back to basics, particular, relation, particular personal relationship with Jesus. Um, when we think of the parish itself, though, I don't know whether a reboot of the parish taking it back to sort of factory settings is sufficient because time has changed uh, and the parish system is, is a means to an end as we've seen it was it was lived differently in the early church it became stable in around the middle ages where Christianity was more or less the norm people were not mobile and that's just not the case mm -hmm. anymore so I think a reboot of the parish system itself is not sufficient I don't think simply adding a few new apps or, or programs I think there's a needs to be a change in the operating system if I can push the analogy <laughs> but, uh, keep pushing yeah keep pushing. Um, and uh, I think we do have some uh, some hope and, and some little springs coming up I mentioned the divine renovation uh, the great Catholic parishes uh, survey there are things particularly the question of community particular question of small groups, belonging, engagement. This, this, this is actually crucial. Uh, new communities, I think they will take a more and more important place uh, in the re-evangelization, especially of Europe and maybe in time, the States. What is clear is we can't be satisfied with just sort of physical restructuring. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's an absolute trauma to put two parishes together whenever together at a structural level. And then what happens is you just end up with the same thing. There's no systemic change of culture. Yeah, mm -hmm. And so I think we need to see beyond the physical restructuring to a, to a change in culture because something has got to change if we're going to move from maintenance or, or sort, of manned, sort of managed downsizing, move from maintenance to mission. Yeah, yeah? Something has got to change. So we've got to change if we're going to fulfill 
the, the mission of bringing Jesus to every man, woman, and child. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Scott. To supplement what William is saying, you know, the parish is not sufficient, rebooting and all of that. And yet at the same time, it still remains necessary. And so what do you do if you can't really reboot it because you don't have the authority to do so? I think what you can do is whatever you can do, you know, invite Chris Stefanik or Jeff Cavins or any one of a number of other people. Because I I think back to when I came into the church uh, back in the mid-80s, and what struck me as an evangelical becoming an evangelical Catholic was the mentoring, the discipleship that I got in high school, college, seminary, and beyond, until I became a Catholic. When I entered the Catholic Church, it was like entering this desert of discipleship where there was no mentoring. Hmm. When I got to Steubenville in 1990, I discovered what the Holy Spirit was doing through Father Michael Scallon and other people, because it, it isn't just like one person is mentoring a few others. It's just a whole mentoring mechanism, hmm. you know, discipleship here. So over the last 30 years or so, we've had like 50 students live with us who really become part of an extended family. But beyond that, too, we've had Bible studies in our home as well. You know, over the last 30 years, going out to all of these parishes practically 50 times a year on the weekends. But seeing that a hit-and-run approach never really works. And Mm -hmm. so at the St. Paul Center, we've really recognized the need to prep these parishes and then to follow up with lots of resources and friendship conversation, that kind of thing. And in the process, we also recognize that, you know, even if the, the, even if the pastor didn't attend your talk or mine or whatever, you have sufficient reaction energy going on to really work with and to build upon. It might, redu- it might result in neighborhood Bible studies or prayer meetings or whatever else. But, you know, bloom where you're planted. Do what you can, you know, in your parish, in your neighborhood, at the workplace and all of the rest, you know. Uh, you're converted precisely because you're here, you know, like the gathering tomorrow. I want to follow you. No, you stay and you tell your yes. witness. And that was pre-evangelism, you know, gone wild. It was just Amen. wonderful. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the, the, the encouragement I receive weekly at these events we're doing, just sold out, packed wall to wall, typically a thousand people showing up at a parish. Pastors will tell me 70% of these people, I don't usually see them. <laughs> Conversions happening. Uh, People being intentional about inviting folks to church and, and experiencing the joy of, of evangelizing themselves for the first time in their lives by inviting friends. People then forming friendships and, and seeing these conversions be, be nurtured in the context of a friendship. I mean, this is, I'm not saying this to, to, bra- to brag about our ministry. This is the secret sauce, and it's not really secret. <laughs> it's, it's stupidly simple. It's a stubborn, uh, back-to-basic simplicity that I think parishes have to get back to. Why do we exist? Why, why does the church exist? What is this all about? I, I, you know, what just came to mind as I'm sitting here is, is when, when uh, Mac kind of got their market share from PC. Remember the commercial? Mm-hmm. There was a guy, a guy with a PC kind of saying, hey, this is all my cool stuff and my gear, and the Mac guy has no computer in his hand, and, and he's just looking like, yeah, let me help you make your life awesome. You know, right. it's, it's really simply about you. People look at the church and they perceive something that's kind of clunky with a lot of turning gears, and, and if we get into it, they're gonna, we're going to, Give them a bunch of stuff, you know. At the end of the day, all this is about, hey, we have the best news ever, and I'd like to introduce you to him. <laughs> yeah. But let me let me help you make your life absolutely amazing for all eternity, uh, and, and and his name is Jesus. Amen. You know, when, when we stay on point with that, uh, when we stop existing for ourselves as parishes, you know, when parishes, uh, at the end of the day, we, we could talk about parish renewal and, and restructure or strategies, but if a parish is doing those things so that the parish can be healthy and not just to share Jesus with people at the end of the day, the parish is going to die. 
It's the same with our, with our marriage, with every relationship in our lives, with everything. What, what's, this, what's the mission? What should we lose ourselves in? And that comes back for me uh, constantly. And this is the, the, always the fight in life, man. Spend a lot of time on your knees. Amen. I spend a lot, just, that's what made St. Paul effective. And not, you know, and not just going through my devotionals, but rejoicing in the Lord, giving thanks in all circumstances, setting my mind on things above so that then when people see me, they hopefully see what I saw in that guy that changed my life. My parents dragged me to that retreat, the, the, a living one. Yeah. You know, I got to embody that every day. Amen. Thank you, Chris. We really appreciate it. And as always, uh, we have a free handout from our guest. Uh, and it's called the five habits of holy people that can reboot your faith. This is yours for free by simply going online to faithandreason.com or by calling the number you'll see on the screen in just a moment. I couldn't help but keep thinking as we were talking, you know, rephrasing the words of JFK, ask not what your parish can do for you, <laughs> ask what you can do for your parish. We have to get out of a consumer mentality when it comes to our faith that this is my church and this is how I like things, and instead be looking to the pew, look to the person that we're working with, uh, look to the person who's our neighbor. I mean, not just our metaphorical neighbor, but our actual neighbor neighbor. And how are we loving them? And how are we sharing the faith with them? And this is a big heart of what we try to do here at Franciscan University. Uh, you know, on top of, you know, Chris's wonderful ministry of Reboot, uh, our conferences are here to try to enlighten people, give them a spark. It's a great charismatic event for adult and for youth. Studentbookconferences.com also has a lot of wonderful materials and resources uh, to help people grow in discipleship, as well as faithandreason.com. You know what? We're not at a time in the church where we don't have the resources. We just need the people. The harvest is plenty the laborers are few. And he's inviting all of us in our baptismal call to be priest, prophet, and king, that we would be those laborers and that we would go forward and boldly share the faith with everyone around us, that we would be revitalized, that our parish would be revitalized, that our world would be revitalized. Come Holy Spirit, uh, that we can do that with faithfulness and give God all the glory. Amen. Amen. download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740 Two eight three six three five seven.